0: Welcome to Rational Writing. I'm Dave
1: And I'm Alexander Wales.
0: And this is episode 40, a review of the movie The Prestige. This is a movie I will definitely recommend against listening to this episode if you have not watched the movie and don't know the twist. Mostly because I think it's kind of central to a first watching of this movie. This is a movie that, I mean, I'll just say right off the bat, this is probably my favorite movie. It's certainly the only movie I can think of off the top of my head that I've watched multiple times and enjoyed something new about it every time. So I wouldn't want to deprive anyone of their first view going through it without knowing it. If anyone out there is is at all interested in this movie, I would say just, you know, give this a pause, give it a shot, come back afterward. Uh, if you're not really sure what the movie even is about, and you don't want to Google it for, for, for fear of spoilers, The Prestige is basically a vaguely historical account of the stage magician trade in London, back when it started, you know... The, 1900s. Yeah, and it's got a lot of great actors in it. It's got a fantastic, fantastic script. It's got a fantastic setting, sound design. Everything about it is really just kind of top notch, and it's definitely worth the watch. Even if it, even if the the summary doesn't seem like your kind of thing, uh, I would still say it's probably one of the better movies that's just ever that I've ever seen. So, that's my that's my recommendation. Uh, Watch it without the spoilers. And then come back to this. But if you want to listen anyway, we are going to spoil probably everything about it.
1: Okay, so, um, you like this movie. Yes. Uh, I also liked this movie. Um, I think I will discuss the things that I didn't like about it as we go on. Mm-hmm. Because they are largely those types of things where I can see where a trade off was made, and my ideal perfect story has no trade offs visible mm-hmm. to the audience. But I liked it before we get too far uh was it rational
0: yeah so I'm gonna go ahead and say that I think it is I think that the characters act consistently throughout I think that the the general you know the world the world is with one major exception consistent because it is realistic there's Uh, They are magicians, they are not wizards. There is no actual magic in the story, so there's no, like, inconsistencies in that regard to worry about. The characters are not plainly good or evil, and the characters generally try to approach their problems, I would say, in in more or less intelligent fashion. They're they're not, like, flying off the handle or doing stupid things for the sake of the plot moving forward.
1: Yeah, I would say that it's, it's it's very thoughtful in how it, especially in terms of the script, and in a lot of the small details and the things that you notice about how the story is structured as you go on that's usually my criteria i think there there is one major exception to i mean you say there's no magic right mm-hmm. my problem is the just to get right into it the the last act revelation mm-hmm. where angier goes to tesla. Uh, nikola tesla mm-hmm. right and tesla has built this what was intended to be a teleportation device or something like that and it instead duplicates that to does not pass my personal bar for science fiction (laughs) yeah
0: just real quick so and for those people who have seen the movie but it was a long time ago or for people who ignored the spoiler warning and just want to kind of hear what we think about the movie without watching it yourselves at some point the two major characters who are competing uh magicians are competing over who can have the best trick And in the process of this, uh, one of them, Borden, played by...
1: Uh, Christian Bale?
0: Christian Bale, thank you. Borden, played by Christian Bale, is able to apparently do this uh, amazing feat of the disappearing man, where he disappears into one closet and reappears in another uh, on stage within like a second. And it's later revealed that Borden is is actually two people. He is himself and a twin, and the twin brother and him have the entire... You know, lives or at the very least uh, for the past uh, the past years in which the movie takes place have not been anywhere in public ever together. So that without like a disguise of some kind, so that no one knows that he has a twin brother, so that this truly appears as magical as it as it seems. Uh, Angier, who is played by uh, Wolverine Hugh Jackman, yeah, Angier, who is played by Hugh Jackman, is obsessed with this trick. He is sure that there must be some way to. Like, there must be something, something very, like, ingenious about it. He doesn't know about the twin thing, obviously, but his, in essence, his, his mentor and his engineer, played by uh, Michael Caine, Cutter, he is basically saying, Look, you just use a double. It's all that, it's that simple. Just use a double and, and you can just trick people into thinking that you, you move from one place to another. And they go back and forth, kind of one-upping and, and sabotaging each other. And eventually, uh, Angier finds out that Borden had gone to, Nikola Tesla, Nikolai Tesla to commission a machine that would help him in one of his magic tricks. And Angier, following up on this lead, goes to Nikolai Tesla and says, build me the thing that you built, Borden. And Tesla essentially takes Angier's money and then eventually reveals that he did not in fact build this machine for him. It was never completed to his um, satisfaction, but he it is complete now, sort of, and he will sell it to him. And like you said, the... The catch is that this is not actually a, a teleporter, it is a duplicator. The duplication just happens to take place at a fixed interval, a certain distance in a certain direction away from uh, the point in which the machine activates. So Angier then uses this in his magic trick to make it seem like he's a, he's disappearing and reappearing, while the copy... I mean, sorry, the copy teleport uh, appears, and Angier, you know, pretends this is part of his magic trick, Whereas the original drops into uh, beneath the stage and and is killed after every uh, every show, and you are basically saying that yes, this machine does not meet your your standards of right uh, of science fiction, yeah,
1: because it's not it it's speculative fiction, mm-hmm. but it's like we're never told. I mean, the machine has rules to it, right? We, they, they don't go into that a whole lot because there's not really any point as far as the movie is concerned. Mm-hmm. It it is much more like magic than it is like technology or yes. like science right it's it's the fact that it's nikola tesla who has built the thing and introduces it that is sort of people would call this science fiction right if the the story would be exactly the same if angier went to like a shaman yeah who told him how to perform this ritual yeah. it, it would be the same story that that's why it, i would call it speculative fiction i wouldn't call it science fiction that's kind of splitting hairs a little bit but as far as
0: i think that makes sense yeah
1: yeah, as as far as when when I look at uh you know when I try to think about is a story rational or not, it has rules and it follows them, but those rules aren't explored necessarily. Mm-hmm. They they are in on the psychological level, I think, right? Because uh, Andrew's whole thing is that he like he tries using a double for a while. Yeah, he he finds someone who looks sufficiently like him, but his problem is that to do the transported man trick, Andrew needs to go into a cupboard and have his double pop out of the other cupboard. And his whole problem with this is that his double is the one that continues on with the show and gets all the all the applause and
0: as it's called in the movie, gets the prestige.
1: Yeah. So that's that's Andrew's whole like psychologically what's going on with him. That's that's his his whole issue with using a double because he can't really use the double for the opening parts the double isn't a showman and like the whole rest of the an act is not just a single trick it's there's a whole
0: build up and and, yeah yeah. also there's also a fairly strong weak point in a a show that uses a double in the sense that borden uses this knowledge that angier is using a double to then subvert the double and and sabotage him
1: right and part of the reason that angier doesn't believe that borden is using a double is because i mean first of all they look exactly alike right but but second of all he can't believe that borden would give up the prestige yeah that would borden would give up the prestige like that which is sort of the they're like central they, they have a number of different conflicts i guess but that's mm-hmm. I, I think the central one that distinguishes the two of them as as characters right so yeah i i would call it a thoughtful character study i don't know that i would call it rational i mean it, it there's nothing irrational about it necessarily right i mean that obviously Andrea has this this cloning mm-hmm. device that he uses to, like, murder his duplicates. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that it's... That, I mean, that but that's a reflection of his Psych. psychology yeah. rather than... I mean, it, it's irrational, but it's a reflection of his psychology, and so I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, so any, anyone else who gets their hands on this machine, right? Like, duplicating gold, right? Like, dupl- making a duplicate of themselves and, I don't know, like, trying to get twice the work done in half the time or something like trying to figure out something like that if this was a, a serial fiction online or something i would fully expect for it to be rational i would fully expect the character to really go into the uses and munchkinry and implications of, of a cloning machine
1: yeah there's there no reason for i mean okay the only reason for andrew to kill his and drown his doubles is the psychological <laughs> one basically, well right
0: well i mean he doesn't he wants to do the show multiple times. So, unless he really just wants to live with a, with a double throughout his life, right? Right.
1: right. The, the the reason he kills the duplicates is because he does not want to live with himself. Yes. Basically, which makes a lot of sense from the psychological perspective. It's the sort of self-hatred, I think that I, I think that's, that's the biggest, the, yeah. the other biggest difference between the two of them is that Angier has this level self-loathing and self-hatred. He is like, he speaks the entire movie basically using a fake accent right
0: and he is singularly focused on the craft or the the show rather the the, the 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 putting on the best show possible for the audience to the point where he is willing to like the very first time he tests the machine out he he just like straight up shoots himself um, right after testing it to make sure that it works and like you know and that moment knows that like he can't live with a double because he's unwilling to and so, like, to, to do it, to really do the trick every time, he needs to be the person who goes in the box and dies, essentially, so that his copy lives on without him. But, like, as far as he's concerned, that's, that's what the, the, the trick takes. That's what the, the magic trick is. Yeah. So he, for him to, to cheat it or do anything else like that would be, and he believes in this sense that he has made a better trick than, than Morden has, uh, until, of course, he finds out the truth.
1: Right. Um, there's a, there's a very interesting, theme of Mm self-identity running through the movie yes right like with Borden but with Andrew as in sort of how he conceptualizes himself because for him it's not he doesn't think well I need to go into this machine and I need to drop down die for him it's it's like he doesn't know which person he's going to be
0: right am I going to be the man in the box or am I going to be the one on the stage and for Borden there's this great duality between him and his twin there's early on in the movie, Angie's wife is killed through an accident on stage where Borden ties a knot that she wants him to tie, but he he should not have tied, like it was too dangerous for the for the for the trick. And uh, we we never find out if the knot was tied. Well, no, I guess we I guess we know, but the, the the argument the argument that springs up between Borden and his and his twin, I guess I should say the two Bordens is that. Is whether or not he t- he tied the knot properly or not, or, or whether he 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 did the dangerous one, right? And right. because the entire movie we don't know uh, that he's talking to the twin, we think that he is actually just not remembering properly what he did, and that he's like, you know, he's constantly um, wracked by guilt for for not knowing, which is something that Angiers himself like goes like you know infuriated over, and. When you finally find out that, because, like, because these are the these are their characters up until this point, to me, this this use of Angier is using the machine this way in this kind of irrational way. Like, it makes sense to me because, like you said, it's it's the it's the it's the aspect of his broken psyche that psyche that makes it consistent with his character. It's irrational, right. but by that point, he is an irrational character.
1: Right, and I think that's for um, to some extent both of them mm-hmm. um, because I mean the, the whole thing I, I think one of the reasons that this movie needs to be watched multiple times is because the two Bordens are not actually the same character right it's not you know identical twins who are perfectly identical it's it's two twin brothers who have made themselves as identical as possible and have like lived their lives identically Up to a point. So you have this stuff with the Bordens. One of them has a child. One of them has a wife and child. The other one has a mistress. Right. And so you... Like, there are two Bordens. One of them is, like, the more risky one, I Mm -hmm. guess. One one is the one who tied the knot. And the other one isn't. And they sort of... At the very end, they sort of implied that they changed places at the prison. So that one could be with his daughter. And the other one would... Like die in the gallows, basically.
0: No, actually, I think the the one the father is the one that died in the prison.
1: I thought they. Okay, I'm gonna have to look this up because <laughs> I thought I yeah. thought that they switched places.
0: I think I think the the idea was that the daughter would just never know. Like, as far as the daughter is concerned, her father is still alive and free because even till the very end, uh, the only person who ever finds out about the twin is Angier, who you know, in in his final moments. Yeah, And I'm pretty sure the Borden that's talking to him is talking about him in that sense. Because he he says something like... When he's explaining it, he says something like, you know, I... Like, he gave up... He gave up the... He gave up the woman he loved because he, he lost his wife, right? Oh, but maybe... Because cause the mistress left him, so maybe it was both of them. Actually, maybe I'm not remembering properly. Because... It was yeah. the risk taker that followed him, so maybe it was him. Maybe it was not the not the father.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Although I guess they wouldn't even know who the father was, would they?
1: Well, it, I I I thought the implication that was was that only one of them was sleeping with her.
0: I guess that could be the case, yes, because there was the whole you love me not today" thing. So it could be that one of them just wasn't wasn't. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and she never figured it out. I guess. Yeah. Um. But, I mean that that whole thing like trying to un, unpack that in from a movie I think it's a difficult to, to know which is which right because they are two different two different people um but it's not always clear when you're when you're watching it even watching it a second time which is which like the the way to distinguish between the two of them
0: yeah and there's a lot of little things in the movie that that point to this so this is partly why I think of it as a rational story because it's very well foreshadowed, and there are a lot of details that not only only make sense when you when you know the the things going on, but also are thematically like very neat. There are a lot of like not just foreshadowing, but also like things that come back around and, and tie together very well in a way that shows me at least that the story was clearly very thought out.
1: Yeah. And the, the trick with the birds. Yes. Right? Yes. This, this like crushed bird cage and then the, this bird pops out and it's like, well, how did that, how's that trick done? The bird was a, a double and one of them was killed. Which is obviously foreshadowing for right. both, both of the, the twists, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I would classify Angier's clone machine as a twist. Yeah, I would. I would. Cause the movie opens with Angier dropping into the tank and dying. Mm hmm. Um, and Borden going to trial for it. So right. yeah, that, that, that is the twist there.
0: The twist right. is that they're both alive and also that they're both dead.
1: Right. So yeah, th- there's a lot of build up to those twists. I think that if you're going to have a, a plot twist in general, we should probably do a whole episode on plot twists, mm-hmm. except that it would have to have just tons and tons, tons of spoilers. Of, yeah, yeah. The problem with plot twists is that you need to foreshadow them such that it doesn't completely blindside the audience. I mean, your plot twist has to make sense, but at a certain level, an audience will redact a plot twist if it wasn't set up properly. Right. For most movies, they will have flashback is is very common to show like all the stuff that necessarily happened to explain how this twist happened. Right.
0: Yeah, and I don't I don't believe the Prestige uses any flashbacks.
1: I think they do when uh, they show Borden getting his. Because Borden takes an injury t- to his finger.
0: Right. They show flashbacks that we didn't see the original time.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Which is Which is very different in film. Right. Showing a flashback to a thing that we've already seen or showing a flashback to something we didn't see. But yeah, they, they do use that to sort of answer a bunch of questions that the audience has immediately on finding out the twist. Right. I think that's very helpful to do. I think in prose, you have less of an ability to do that. Just cause it's not really in the language of prose that much mm-hmm. to, to do very like quick cut flashbacks to things that happened prior. You, you can't, you can't do that as well, I guess. Right. You can do it, but it's not, it's not in the, the native language of prose. Um, it's in the native language of film more than I think other mediums. You can still do some of that in prose. It just needs to be done like within the scene, I guess. Okay, uh, the movie Fight Club, is that past the statute of limitations?
0: I should hope so.
1: Okay, well, Fight Club, uh, was a book first. Actually, um, The Prestige was a book first. So, (laughs) I, but I haven't read The Prestige. I've heard it's, I've heard it's worse and it has a different ending. Yeah. Those are the two things I've I've heard about it. It takes place as sort of an epistolary novel where Angier and Borden both kept diaries and they're like mutually reading each other's diaries and that's sort of the format of the, novel and there's a frame story where their descendants are trying to bring an end to this family feud and then a whole bunch of things are different because Mm -hmm. christopher and jonathan nolan who wrote the screenplay changed a whole bunch of things yeah in in getting it to film but i should see how that how explicitly the payoff of the twist i think that's the hardest part well no i think the hardest part of a twist is hiding it in plain sight and then the second hardest part is probably paying it off because Mm -hmm. if you hide too many things in plain sight then people will just say You know, okay, what about, what about this guy Fallon who's always following Borden around, right? Right. And is in like heavy disguise all the time. What about that guy? No one did that for the prestige to my, to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. but people will do that pretty frequently for, for plot twists as they'll figure it out ahead of time and then it kind of spoils them. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of very different setups that are sort of disguised as exposition about magic or things like that like the chinese man who, yep. who who walks around all the time that's and then the birds in the cage and then borden meeting his future wife but it's it's kind of weird because like he appears in her apartment but it's a different borden who's pretending to be the same person
0: right which which implies that like this is this is a kind of coordination thing that they're already used to doing
1: right yeah but it's also one of them gave up the prestige right yes one of them spent the day with her and was like wooing her and then the other gets like this moment of having done this magic trick i i I thought i thought it was a neat parallel to yeah to that
0: and i think it's it's interesting also because like another thing that makes it a rational story to me is that the two primary characters aren't like clearly good or evil they're both driven by a different focus like a different terminal value that kind of just clashes throughout the movie yeah so borden is definitely less gripped by the need for for the prestige partly because as a twin he he kind of like makes his peace with the fact that half the time he won't be the one getting it they are they say that he says that they switch who goes in every time right so that they both get get to enjoy both both sides of, of the of the presentation of the tricks and this becomes something of a of a difference of, like... I was going to say, like, terminal value for them, where Borden is... To Borden, this is someone... He, he is devoting his life... Essentially, he is devoting his life to something that he obviously cares very deeply about, but is ultimately still, like... I don't want to say just a job, because it's clearly not just a job to him, but he still doesn't quite match Angier's passion for it in quite the same way.
1: I think that... the what I'd say the difference between them is that Borden cares about the trick in and of itself, whereas for Angiers, it's more—it's—it's mean, it's partly that, but for him, the like audience feedback, yeah, is—is—is is, is the more important thing, is like seeing the looks on people's faces, right, and like that impact it's had on it. Because when he goes to see Borden's like transported man mm-hmm. act for the first time, Borden is playing in this like dingy little theater and doesn't seem to care that much right
0: yeah he's doing
1: this this mind-blowing trick for this audience that doesn't appreciate it and for borden that seems like it's i guess not enough but like he's almost content with that
0: yeah like like borden doesn't maybe doesn't understand what they're doing as much as NGOs does like or why they're doing what they're doing as much as NGOs does in the sense of for borden that trick he like he he did the trick and Maybe he just was content with it, or maybe he just generally didn't understand what would make it a real, you know, like trick of like magic trick of the century, right? Yeah. It took it took Angier and and his accomplice, who would later be one of Borden's uh, Borden's mistress, to to really take this trick and make it something amazing, something that would like make the crowds come again and again, and that that difference of like. Like you said, like the, his final line, it was for the look on their faces. That's why he why he went so far and did so much for the for magic. Yeah, to make them to make them believe for a second that that what, what they were seeing was real, even though they know it's an illusion. That kind of drive and passion is what kind of makes Angier's character interesting to me, because otherwise he's more clearly the vil- definitely definitely more clearly the villain of the story. Yeah, ultimately. Like, Borden does some pretty shady shit with the twin stuff, and his wife ends up committing suicide over it, and, like, that's, you know, that's unfortunate, but you can see that he's remorseful about that. He didn't intend for any of that to happen. It's just kind of devoting too much to this trick. But Angios is the one that really, like, acts out of uh, spite, almost.
1: Yeah. Well, and if you think about Borden, Borden ties this knot, yeah. right? And there, there's not that much of a, I guess, point to it, except for the craft, Yeah. right? yeah. It's it's more it's more the knowing of the trick because it's not really going to make a difference to the audience, right? right. right? And so that's that sort of Borden is driven by the craft itself, yeah, for the most part. And Angier is more driven by not necessarily the applause, but like the that feeling that he can produce in other people through magic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Another theme of the movie that I think makes it rational is the focus on noticing confusion like even beyond foreshadowing the movie does a great job of presenting this puzzle to the viewer that can be poked at ahead of time if you're paying attention you don't necessarily know that it's a plot twist but you could know that something isn't right if you were paying attention to your confusion as a rationalist should right like there was there was a scene where the two bordens are wooing the woman who would become their wife and she says goodbye to him walks up some stairs opens her her apartment door and he's inside the apartment in a space of like five seconds, six seconds maybe. Right? Yeah. And like when you're watching this, you think, oh yeah, he's a magician, you know, that's what magicians do. And there's no magic in this other than this this machine, right? Every trick they do, they reveal the trick. Which is something I love about the movie also, unlike something like the illusionist, which irritated me. But anyway. So like we know that there's no magic that as far as we can tell in the in this in this story up until this point, but this is a person doing something that's clearly impossible. Right? Like, unless he just like ran out the door ran around the building up a flight of stairs on the side of the building or something or like, like, you know, climbed the building and then jump through the window or something like that. This should be impossible, but we just kind of let it go. Or at least I did. And I think most people did. Uh, they just yeah. kind of let it go. Cause he's a magician. So that must be uh, the case. But if you really f- paid attention to it and thought like, how did he do that? Actually, it, you could potentially figure out like, Oh, maybe there's two of him. And then this also ties into the other things where he talks about, like living your whole life for the, for the trick. Like this is the illusion when he's talk, talking about the old Asian man who's pretending to be old. The thing about this, this idea that the the trick that he was performing in front of the small crowd, and Jir watches it and and says that they didn't understand what they were seeing, that it was it was far too simple for them. Uh, but it was the greatest magic trick he's ever seen because he's another magician. He understands how hard it was for them to pull off for it to pull off, be pulled off, right? Yeah. And this this I think uh, ties into the uh, like. It's not a rationalist story in the sense of, like, teaching rational rationality, but it does kind of highlight what I think is the, the, the central idea of noticing confusion and how important it is that people don't normally really think about why they're, how they're being tricked into things, because this trick is overlooked by most people and, and, and mostly not really applauded at all because it's too simple for them. They don't really understand what it is that they're seeing fast enough for them to recognize how amazing it is, and so they just kind of, you know, think, oh, it's a neat trick, whatever. But, like, if you dress it up, put a bunch of lights and, and, like, lightning effects and all these different things and talk it up for, like, a minute and all these different things, you can focus their attention enough on what's occurring so that when the person disappears and reappears, they notice that this is something miraculous and, and amazing, right? Yeah. And in general, I think this is a problem that, I mean, this is something that I've observed people do when they watch magic done. There's a there's a great magician at a fair nearby me that every year I go and see him and every year his his tricks in front of the, to the crowds are are like if I didn't have such strong fires against magic I would believe he had magic abilities but like the crowd is fucking like you know they're they're mostly just kind of staring placidly at at what he's doing and just like every so often applauding a little bit and he's worked this into his bit he knows that this is like you know like. This this kind of like lack of response is something he expects now at this point. But like, if you really notice just how strangely unrealistic the tricks that he's doing are, you can kind of notice that like this is something that should confuse you and you should pay attention to to figure out what he actually did. And in this in this story throughout the movie, again like the like the the board ends, uh switching places, um, there are these little hints that like if you are paying enough attention to what your what your attention is being drawn to you should be able to it is it is theoretically possible for you to think there is something going on here beyond what's obvious yeah and michael Caine goes you know through the whole like why the trick works the way it does the this the the, the 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 misdirection essentially that that's inherent to these kinds of tricks and even as he's describing this thing because he's showing it to you as he's saying it to he's explaining it you think okay i get what he's saying but you don't still most most audience members, I would say, still don't apply that knowledge to the trick that we that we still don't know how he does. Because the entire movie, we don't know how Borden does his trick. And so, like, as Angier is trying to figure it out and duplicate it, like the the audience is kind of left with this riddle that they could very well try to solve them on their own. Uh, and maybe it's harder too because it's a movie, right? You, you don't really have time to like pause it. And I mean, you could you you'd yeah. have to you'd have to make the time to pause it and really think. But I think that that is a one of the things that I got out of the movie, at least, that I think is, is really well demonstrated, that I don't think I've seen demonstrated in many other movies, even other movies about magic.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things I really like about this movie is that it's it's about magic, but it's also about writing and filmmaking, mm-hmm. right? Because when... Uh, most of the dialogue about magic works on two levels, where it's sort of about, you know, uh, what, what the attention is drawn to. That's very important... In film and as part of the craft of filmmaking, and it's sort of Christopher Nolan talking to you about story and and film in that sense. And then uh, obviously, The Prestige is is a stand-in for like the the plot twist at the end. In in some respects, right? I mean, the the parallel doesn't work perfectly, but uh, it's it's one of the things that that I think about when I watch the movie is that sort of that sort of way that it relates in terms of. Performance and attention, and especially plot twists. Right. So one of the other things I want to talk about is this cloning machine, right? Yeah. Um, That gets introduced, I want to say, beginning of the third act, in in terms of, like, three-act structure. He goes and visits Nikola Tesla and gets this cloning machine. And up until that point, there has not been anything... magical. Well, there have been magic tricks that have not been explained, but I don't think you're led to believe...
0: Have there been? Let me see, bullet catch, uh birds in the cages, rope Chinese, and, man. Chinese man, uh water rope escape. Yeah, well, okay. water escape.
1: I should say there have been tricks there have been tricks that are shown to you and then um not explained until later. So the movie has set up this idea that
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you see a trick, it will be explained to right. you later.
0: Right, right. Yes. yeah, yeah. They set they set up the expectation that what the things that they are doing are not magic.
1: Right, we haven't seen any actual non-demystified non-demys- magic, I guess. And then you get this cloning machine, um, which does something that is sort of outside the realm of what we know is possible. I think that's my biggest problem with this movie: is the cloning machine, not not because it is fantastical, but because it's sort of I want to say that it works really well on a like literary level. Yeah. Right. As as far as all the parallels that it sets up between Andrew and Borden by, by its existence and what Andrew does with it is very like emblematic of his character. And it sets up the, well, okay. It sets up everything except for like the film starts with Andrew falling into the tank of water and drowning. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem is that if you up until the cloning machine is introduced, you have no way of figuring out that it was a cloning machine. Mm -hmm. That, that is my one problem with this movie. I, I would, I guess I would say. I mean, you you would think you think before then that either Borden did it, right? That Borden set up Andrew to fall into this tank and die, or that um, Andrew committed suicide, basically. I would actually
0: say that that might not be true. So there's this opening scene that is about 10 seconds long, maybe, of a bunch of hats on the grass, and maybe a cat. Or you maybe just hear cats. Yeah. And, and over this you hear, are you watching closely? And then the screen goes to black and the movie starts. And once you get to Nikolai Tesla and the machine, and you see him put the hat in the machine, lightning hits the machine, the hats, and the hat is still there. I think at that point you can start thinking if you remember the scene in the beginning of the movie which many people will not which is something that the movie makers rely on yeah that is when you can basically say oh it's not sending it anywhere it's just making a copy somewhere
1: yeah uh, but but I think that's up until that point
0: right but but you and you're right up until that point those would be the two things that you are left with with thinking if not for the fact that these are magicians right and the defense of Bo- borden basically consists of well no not not quite not quite the defense of borden but like there's this sense of like borden is not quite cuz cuz we're kind of hearing in through the sense of his journal entries right yeah borden is not quite clear himself if angier meant to die in this trap right if it was a trap for borden or a trap that kind of just went a trick that went wrong right
1: um i think there's another you might disagree on this, and it's certainly not explicit in the text of the film. But there's another possibility, which is that Borden doesn't know because he doesn't know what the other Borden did.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Uh I kind of assume that, like, at some point they might have... Because they can have visitation like, in prison, right?
1: Yeah, they have visitation, but the there's, like, there's a certain amount of bad blood between the two brothers But at, at the end of the film.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that would carry over into this, though, because, like, one of them is literally on trial for his life, right? And... Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and and the other is just, it, you you would think that they would communicate that, right, Be- between the two of them. Right. But it's kind of I don't know that that the I really like the uh, the two Borden's sort of subplot, but it is only barely explored within the within the film itself. Yeah. Right. Their their relationship to each other and how they sort of
0: I think. There's only have one dealt with each other, yeah, I think there's only one conversation in the entire movie that's frank between them, and like you don't even know that they're the first time watching through the movie you don't even know that that they're both um Borden at that point you think it's just him talking to his longtime friend and and confidant whose name I forgot even though you said it earlier
1: it's a it's an it's an anagram of Alfred Borton <laughs> it's it's, it's, that's just
0: that's just unnecessary risk there boy
1: yeah. It? It's Fallon. Fallon. S- right. Something, yeah.
0: Yeah, so like, he's having, he has this heart, heartfelt conversation with Fallon just before he's hung, where he says goodbye, essentially, and, and apologizes and says, you know, like, you were right, I shouldn't have gone that last time. Just, just live well for both of us and all that stuff. And at that point, you still don't even know that this is, this is Borden. You think it's just him saying goodbye, right? But like, this is a, you're right, like, this is a really, there could be an entire movie just based off of these two characters and their, and their, their trick they're like lifelong or ten year long or five year long trick that they've been doing um, and it's basically just a subplot because the the the, the rivalry between NGs and and Borden is, is takes under sta- stage
1: yeah I really like that that hidden movie, but the problem is that you don't have a lot to work on in trying to analyze it mm-hmm. <laughs> so but yeah, I feel like we digressed off topic from the cloning machine mm-hmm what i want to talk about Um, i think the late introduction of something fantastic into the mundane is very risky yeah from a narrative standpoint because some people will just especially if it's to resolve something that you set up earlier in your film or book sort of depending on on what it is i think you can do it once like the second time that you do it people will take less kindly to it
0: yeah
1: I, i think it's done well in in this movie especially because uh because you're dealing with magicians you already have the sort of introduction of the fantastical it is it is risky to do right yeah the reason i think it works in this movie is at least partly because this movie is about magic Mm -hmm. and so and so that's we obviously know that uh magicians are employing mundane means to produce the impression of the fantastic but as soon as you have a movie about stage magicians you've already sort of put one toe over the line into the fantastical and so it doesn't come as much as of a shock when when it actually appears then you're like oh okay right rather than like you just pulled that out of nowhere right so like i don't think it, i think that if this were a movie about rival architects and then you got to the beginning of the third act and one of them reve- was revealed to have a duplication machine yes I think most people would rebel at that point. Yeah. But it works because that... And, and that's part of the craft of writing, is trying to introduce those elements of the fantastical in without actually having anything outside the mundane. Is interstellar, If you're going to do a twist like that.
0: Yeah. Is Interstellar past... Like, is it fair to, to add an Interstellar swirler into this review suddenly? <laughs> like... um,
1: <laughs> I understand why you would want to. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know that it is. Because okay. that's another movie that... Yeah, I...
0: I'm trying to think of a different example, but that's one that's just really pissed me off, and I'm trying to like, I want to talk about why it pissed me off in that and not in this. Like, I'll just say that yeah, so you're right. Like this, this is what requires good writing uh, to do well and not not have it be too jarring. I still did feel it was like it, it is definitely like a I don't want to say a sour note in the prestige, but it is definitely a note, an off key note in the prestige that I can't actually bill it to someone as like a completely realistic magician movie right yeah like so there's another movie i I don't know if i should worry about spoilers for the illusionist because i thought it was a really bad movie and that's fine no one cares about the (laughs) Illusionist. i'm glad we agree so this 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 is other movie that came out around the same time also about a magician he performs a ton of tricks throughout the movie that are never explained Except at the very end of the movie, there's a little book that has sketches in it that someone flips through very quickly, too quickly for you to see anything in detail, obviously. <laughs> that, like, supposed, it's supposed to give you the impression that, oh, they were all tricks all along. But no, no, there was no possible way that some of the things that he did were actually just tricks and not magic. Like, he did ridiculously magical things on that stage. Yeah. And this pissed me off, like, as a viewer. Because this is something that was quite possibly ready to be the opposite of the prestige where all these things that that did seem like magic from the beginning um, actually had a legitimate explanation for them but that legitimate explanation was never actually given it was just kind of like alluded to and then like like yeah you were just expected to accept that whereas in the prestige i think it works because you know that like because the characters i think take what they're doing so seriously the introduction of a magical element, it doesn't quite become magical realism because magic is still, like, it, it's, it's important and addressed and as, in a meaningful way as part of the plot. Like, its, its implications are, are thought through, like, psychologically at the very least, if not, you know, economically or whatever. Because again, Borden is, I mean, NGO is the one that has it and not just like a regular person. And it fulfills the story's dramatic need. For yeah. Angier to to finally win over Borden, but at a cost, right? Yeah, like he he his entire his entire character arc relies on him finding some way to beat Borden, which he, who he can't beat because it's not one on one; it's one on two. And yeah. he finally finds a way to do it and does it in the most self destructive way that also manages to bring his rival down, as far as he's concerned, bring his rival down ultimately. And so, like once you're once you're in the drama of the movie. The detail, like, oh, it just happens... It ha- the fact that it's actually a magical device. Like, it doesn't matter that much, because it fits very well. Whereas if they had introduced a magical element into the movie, like, even just a little bit. Like, just, like, something... If there was any other magical element of this movie that didn't have to do with that central dramatic plot, uh, just, like, if if one of them could do, like, basic magic tricks, for example, and the other person was trying to beat his basic magic tricks with with, like deception and stuff that might be an interesting movie but it would be a very different movie from the beginning because like you already know that this is a thing that like he's competing against that like from the beginning it would have been upsetting i guess to be like oh well he was fighting against someone who was magic." i don't know maybe it wouldn't be upsetting but it would be a very different feeling whereas in this one because you see him struggling so hard the entire time to match warden uh without actual magic take coming into play using this magic device that is treated like i mean cutter treats it like a uh, demonic you know instrument that needs to be destroyed because he recognizes that it is magic i think it gives it enough gravitas so that it's not just like out of place it it, it yeah. has sufficient gravitas for the rest of the movie's drama
1: yeah i think also the fact that the the cloning machine is given this veneer of being mundane mm-hmm. was was important if you postulate i i know i i am directly contradicting what i said earlier in this very episode when i said that hypothetically he just goes to a shaman who teaches him a magic trick i don't think that that would have worked mm-hmm. as far as the as the payoff goes mm-hmm. right or as as far as introducing this element into it because we've stayed mundane the entire time and we're saying oh this thing is mundane too it's just technological right, right. but if you introduce actual magic in then you would have a whole different thing to deal with like thematically i guess yeah So, so it 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 makes um it makes it work a lot better to just say that it's a technological development created by this guy who everyone knows is a super genius. Especially the fact that it's Nikola Tesla rather than some other nameless guy. Like if it were just an if it were not a historical character, if it were someone invented, I think it would also work less Mm -hmm. well because uh, you know Nikola Tesla is sort of famous for his out there ideas about what was technologically possible. And so that sort of fits in in with our idea of what that person would be like. And it feels less like a plot device inserted in.
0: And there's this scene where he, where he shows off to Angier kind of like to like secure his funding. Uh, He shows off to Angier the field of light bulbs. Yeah. And Angier is like shocked at this and like thinks to like, actually thinks to himself, this is magic, like real magic. But like, he knows it's technological, but it's magic in the sense that matters. Like it's magic that like he doesn't have an explanation for, and he knows that like the people won't have an explanation for that are watching. So if he if he can pull off something with this kind of level of technology, like like the saying goes, it's 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 the same as magic, right? Uh, and that's really what he wants to present to his audience.
1: Yeah, that's also another parallel to the the art of filmmaking, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know you know none of the the stuff that you're seeing in like Inception. Is physically possible or, or real or whatever, right? But you, it's, it's impressive enough that you just sort of accept it for the duration of the act. Yeah. I like the film a lot. I think that the cloning machine is the, the one, is the thing I think about the most, I guess, when I think about the movie rather than all mm-hmm. these little art of craft things. Cause it's, it's very, you know, it, it's very uh, visually and I guess plot dense movie. Because a lot of the plot is hidden from you till the end. Mm-hmm. And yet it still works on the normal, like on first viewing, it doesn't matter that you're not getting that second plot. Right? Right. I think that's the third hardest thing to do about, about a plot twist is having, having it be an engaging the first time through before you get to the twist. Right. And then having, having it be like equally engaging once you know the twist. I think that's very difficult. But. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is this is a movie that I think definitely holds up to multiple rewatches and I don't know if I'm going to say it's the most rational movie I've ever seen. Like I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting, but like
1: did, did you ever see Primer? I did not. Okay, well you should see Primer. That's okay. what you should do with your night tonight. <laughs> 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 All
0: right. Yeah. I think it's 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 got a lot of great themes, great characters and and definitely worth a watch to anyone who hasn't seen it or worth a rewatch to anyone who's only seen it once a long time ago and vaguely remembers it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Thanks for listening, and if there's anything else you'd like to hear us review, uh, maybe Primer, (laughs) after I watch it, feel free to let us know.
1: You'll probably have to watch Primer like two or three times (laughs) before we can talk about it.
0: Oh boy.